Welcome to the Focus Today podcast with Perry Atkinson. Focus today. I'm your host, Perry Atkinson. And of course, you know, uh, the debt ceiling uh, issue was passed and they did raise the debt ceiling. And we heard a lot of push and pull on both sides. We really don't know all the details. And what is going to be the impact and will the feds raise the rates? Well, I'm like the student that won't go away. <laughs> I'm delighted to have back with us today, Professor Michael Bustler's with us. He's a public policy analysis and professor of finance at Stockton University there in New Jersey. Always honored to have him. He has a uh, website, very informative, muckrack.com forward slash Michael Bustler. And there's a picture of the landing page. Professor, good to see you, friend. How are you? Always great to see you, Perry. Thanks for having me. You bet. So did you get a chance to look at the deal and what's in it? <laughs> I did. <laughs> okay, so let's start at the very beginning here. First of all, th there's virtually a zero chance of a default on the debt occurring. Now, why do I say that? The federal government takes in, on average, $400 billion every month. Our problem is they spend $500 billion every month. So if there was no deal reached, the government said, look, we're going to have to shut down. But we'd still take in $400 billion a month. That's enough to pay for all the entitlement programs, Social Security, Medicare, et cetera, and the interest on the public debt has a little bit left over. Everything else in government, we pretty much have to shut down. So interest on the public debt has a high priority, and we still take in money every month. So there's virtually zero chance of uh, default. So there's a lot of hype put, put, put on that. That's number one. Number two, what about the debt deal itself, which you asked me about? The conservatives in uh, the House of Representatives were extremely upset by this. And frankly, when I looked at um, what the House of Representatives passed, and they did pass a, a bill that would have raised the debt ceiling, it never got brought up in the Senate, and Biden said he would veto it even if it got uh, further than, than that. And that called for some very, uh, they would raise the debt ceiling by, I think, $1.5 um, And it called for some very strict reductions in government spending. And that's what the conservatives passed in the House. They say, you sh uh, Kevin McCarthy, you shouldn't have buckled. You should have enforced a vote on this in the Senate. It may have passed, um, because you might have Joe Manchin, Kristen Sinema, even John Tester may have voted for it. And then it would have been brought to Biden's desk. And if he vetoed it, then we run into a problem. The conservatives say we should have pushed it and he would have signed it. That's a heck of a gamble to to play. So what ended up happening was um, McCarthy and the Biden administration got together and negotiated and came up with something that McCarthy was um, said he would support. The Senate said they would support, and the president said he, he would support. I, I wrote a column on this, and even though I'm very conservative and I didn't like it, <clears throat> I said it should be supported. And I said what will happen is the very conservatives um, uh, will vote against it. The very liberals will also vote against it. But everybody in the middle, the moderates that lean either right or left, will vote for it. And that's exactly what what happened. Now, why did I 
support it. Two reasons. One, it shows the American people that Congress and the government can compromise. And what happened here was the right didn't get everything they wanted, the left didn't get everything they wanted, but we were able to compromise and get the majority of Congress and the president to support it. That signals to the American public that, you know what, even though they're far apart, they can compromise. Secondly, and more important, traditionally, I believe the, the majority of the American public's public was just right of center. Beginning in 2008, when President Obama was elected and he said, we're going to fundamentally change America, the government, and I, I guess the mood of the people, moved left of center. And then when Biden got in, they moved far left. This is the first time that government spending will be held constant. And that hasn't happened. The last time there was a reduction, a true reduction in government spending, was 1946 after World War II ended. Now, every other year, we've increased government spending. So what the bill says, we're holding it constant this year, and we're only going to allow government spending to increase 1% next year. I think this is very significant in that it shows the government is starting to move away from very far left and toward the center. Um, this is a first step, and Newt Gingrich also shared this view. He said, look, this is a first step. You can't get everything that you want in one bill. So what you have to do is get a bill that gets this started, Hopefully, in 2024, the conservatives and the Republicans can maintain control of the House, pick up control of the Senate and the presidency, and at that point, you can start to move things uh, further away from the left and to the center, and maybe even back to the right of center. Ronald Reagan used to say, when confronted in situations like this, half a loaf of bread is better than nothing. And that's what we got here, half a loaf of bread, and I supported it. Even though I don't like it, I supported it. Okay, so basically what you're saying here, Professor, is incrementally this slows the problem down and position us maybe to attack the, the problem in the future. Yes, and, and you know, I, I think your, your last guest uh, pointed out that, that um, since 1963, We've only balanced the budget or had a slight surplus in the budget four years from 97 to 2001. Every other year, we ran a deficit in the budget. And the last two administrations, the deficit in the budget has gotten extremely large. Now we're getting back to, and why did it get so large? It wasn't that we didn't bring in enough tax revenue. We certainly did. It was huge increases in government spending. In fiscal 2019, the federal government spent slightly less than $4.5 trillion. President Biden, in his 2024 budget, wanted to spend $6.9 trillion. That's a huge increase in government spending. There's where the problem lies. This debt ceiling bill finally said we're not spending any more this year than we did last year. Again, that's the first time that's happened in decades. And next year, we're only going to allow a 1% increase. Not what the conservatives in the House of Representatives wanted, but it's half a loaf of bread, and it's an incremental step toward where I think we want to be. Over
overall down the road, we have to cut the budget because the interest rate on the budget is going to swallow us up, right? Right. And the interest charges, which are now about $500 billion, and most of those um, uh, bonds were taken out when interest rates were relatively low. Remember, there's no program in place to ever pay any of that back. That's very important. There's no program in place to ever pay any of that back. So what do we do? A 10-year bond becomes due. We're not going to pay it back. We sell a new bond to pay back the old bond, and we roll over the uh, debt. Well, most of the debt was taken out when interest rates were one, one and a half percent. They're now three, three and a half percent. So you start rolling over the debt and suddenly that $500 billion interest payment doubles up to a trillion dollars a year in interest We interest payments. We can't afford to put that on future generations. Okay. So we have to stop it here. The, the other thing here is we, we do not have a robust economy. We have a shaky economy. Um, and so um, I don't know what this debt ceiling deal does to a shaky economy. But if we don't figure out a way to stimulate the economy, how in the world are we going to service the debt? Well, first of all, we, we can't stimulate the economy now. We have a very severe inflation problem right. brought out primarily from uh, excess demand in the economy caused by huge government budget deficits mm. in the last three or four years. Secondly, for whatever reason, the Federal Reserve fell asleep in 2021. Intra uh, inflation started to go up. There was clear signs we're going to have a problem. They said, oh, don't worry, it's only temporary. Uh, these were transitory. And uh, they just left interest rates at zero while the economy was growing at a 6% rate for 2021. And that encouraged the inflation, which peaked at a 9% inflation rate of June in, in June in 2022. Finally, the Federal Reserve woke up and said, we have our, our, the main purpose of monetary policy is price stability. We also want full employment and growth, but the primary function is price stability. Even Chair Powell uh, said in June, price stability is now our, our major um, focus of policy. In order to bring the inflation rate down, interest rates have to go up significantly. I said back then, the federal funds rate is going to have to hit at least 6% to have a permanent impact on inflation. We're still not there yet, and we still have some inflationary pressure. So that's our, our, pro our first priority. Okay. Along that line, before I run out of time, take a break here. Um, you earlier said that raising the rates obviously has to be done but you also said they were late in doing it so now they're trying to do it too fast they have to they made such a big mistake and kept it all through 2021 and really till the middle of 2022 they did virtually nothing now they've got to catch up very quickly they've raised interest rates 10 times mm -hmm. uh, since uh, the middle of 2022, in my view, and I know this is not popular, but in my view, the interest rates are going to have to go up a little bit higher. The federal funds rate is in the five, five and a quarter range now. It's got to hit up to 6%, I think, by my calculations, in order to get a, a, a significant impact on reducing inflation. Now, unfortunately, that's going to slow the economy down and bring on a recession, probably starting right about now. So they're meeting next week, and you expect to hike how big? 
if it was up to me, I'd go up half a point. I don't think they'll do that. I think they'll go up about 25 basis points, about a quarter of a point. There's an inflation um, CPI number for May comes out you know, sometime early next week before their meeting. I don't think it's going to be very good. That is, it will still show uh, in inflation. So they're going to have to raise rates. And I think they're going to have to raise them at least one or two more times before the end of the year, even though the economy is entering recession uh, in order to get the inflation down. Okay, so the rate of borrowing money to stay in business or short-term borrowing goes through the roof. That's going to slow construction and home sales, right? Or is home sales impacted by this? Yeah, significantly impacted. Home sales are plummeting. The construction industry uh, is hurting. Unfortunately, that's going to have to continue. Now. Okay, let me take a break. I've got some more questions. Uh, so honored to have back with us Professor Michael Bussler, public policy analysis and professor of finance there at Stockton University in, in New Jersey. And check out his uh, website, muckrack.com forward slash Michael Bussler. We'll be right back. We'll be back to this week's interview in just a few seconds. In the meantime, we want to let you know that you can watch this interview, plus many more exclusive interviews that happen this week on the Dove's Daily TV and radio show by visiting our website, thedove.us. And while you're there, sign up for our free daily devotional, The Word for You Today. Three months of daily readings that will connect you with God's Word. Now, back to the show. to have back with us Professor Michael Bussler, public policy analysis and professor of finances there at Stockton University. And again, one more time, his website is muckrack.com forward slash Michael Bussler. Very informative. Thank you for making that available, Professor. Uh, I want to come to uh, the, uh, the latest job numbers. And I guess where my head continues to spin or go on tilt is uh, unemployment seems to be doing okay you know it's at a low rate but none of us employers can find people to work what's the problem so um for the last couple of years uh we've had a labor shortage even today there are almost 10 million job openings and only 6 million unemployed people so we've had this labor shortage really since the pandemic and the uh, economy was shut down. Now, while that's a tough thing for business to endure, it is actually a good thing in that it's going to make the recession much milder than recessions in the past. Why do I say that? Uh, a small business person says, look, I need 10 people to operate my business efficiently. For the last two years, I have nine. I can't find the 10th person. I just can't find them. So when his business starts to slow down, he's not going to lay off people. He's going to stop looking for that 10th person. So what's going to happen when we go into a recession? Normally, unemployment goes way up, and that makes the recession worse. This time, um, when we go into the recession, we're going to just see a severe reduction in the number of job openings as people stop looking for those extra workers and a much smaller increase in the unemployment rate. That will make the recession much more uh, mild. Now, I think your real question is, why can't we find people to work? Well, the labor force participation rate, 
which is the percent of adults who are either working or actively seeking a job, the labor force participation rate has declined steadily since the pandemic. Many people who stopped working uh, because of the shutdown didn't go back to work. Uh, and as a result of that, we have this labor shortage. So the next question is, why didn't they go back to work? Well, I don't have any hard data on this, but anecdotally, what I found was some of the older people over 55 were nervous about going back to work, even though the pandemic was over. Um, it still looked like things were lingering. Um, they have some health issues they're worrying about, and they don't want to catch this virus. They said, listen, I'm just not going back to work. That seemed to be about half of the people I talked to. The other half that didn't go back to work were people under 25. So I talked to a number of them and I said, listen, why aren't you going back to work? And what they said to me is, because I don't have to. I said, what do you mean by that? They said, well, I haven't paid my rent in two years and there was a moratorium on eviction so I couldn't get kicked out. The federal government kept handing out free money to everybody. There was stimulus by uh, the Trump administration twice, additional uh, stimulus by the Biden administration. Um, so they said, look, I'm not paying my rent. The government's giving me this money. I don't really have to go back to work. And there was a few of them um, that said, uh, look, I said, look, you're a college graduate. You should be going back to work. What about your debt? They said, well, I don't have to pay my student debt either. I'm still to this day not paying my, my student debt. So because I think of the virus and the uh, lingering effects, and because we're paying people not to work, they're not working. And that's why the participation rate has gone down so much and why employers are having such a tough time. So, Professor, where, where is the implosion of this? I mean, at what point uh, can they not go back to work and pick up the debt that they supposedly have been pardoned from for a while? So um, the government stopped handing out money. That's good. Um, the Biden administration has increased uh, some of the welfare and some of the food stamp uh, money. We're going to have to cut back on on that. And starting in uh, August, I think, or September, the college students have to start repaying their uh, college debt. So they won't go back to work until they're financially forced to go back to work. As long as they're getting free money and they don't have to pay their bills, they're going to sit home and have a good time. We've got to end that. And we've got to realize that really what, what made this country great uh, was we encouraged individual freedom and individual responsibility. Right. The Biden administration is trying to switch from individual responsibility to social responsibility. The government will take care of you. As long as the government's taking care of somebody, they're not going to go back to work. Okay. Um just jumping around a little bit. What's the inflation number today? That's about 5%, 4.9. Is, is, that, is that really the number or is it higher? <laughs> uh, that's, that's a great question. Uh, so, so to compute that number, they take a look at um, uh, 100 goods that the average consumer is likely to purchase. Okay. And then they, they do that at a number of locations around the country, and they get a, a number. Then they do it again next month, same goods, same locations, and see how much the, the price went, went up. Okay. So for the average consumers, you should be feeling about that average rate of 
inflation. But for many of us, we're feeling a, a lot more. Um, people people have to buy uh, food. Um, food prices have gone up. If you're in a position where you have to do a lot of driving to get to your uh, job or, or work, gasoline prices, they've inched down, although they're inching back up again. But still, they're 50 percent higher than they were um, in the prior um, administration. So some people, on average, the rate's 5%. Many people are seeing rates much um, above that. Um, okay, so... People can be seeing more. Yeah, because I, I, I kind of said that, I, maybe you can correct me on this, the, the, the one thing that eats into everybody's, um, if I can use the term profitability, uh, their financial sovereignty, so to speak, is the cost of energy. Yeah. Even your fire alarm agrees with that. <laughs> a little, uh, little strange. There's big fires in Canada, and all of their smoke is down. I live in New Jersey, and all their smoke is coming down here. I don't know if that caused anything, but yeah. uh, that's uh, what, what we're seeing. Look, energy is the backbone of the economy. The Biden administration from day one said we're more concerned with the environment. And we believe that the use of fossil fuels is hurting the environment. We want to reduce the production of fossil fuels. They stopped the Keystone uh, pipeline. They made the permitting process more difficult. Um, they said to banks, I'd be careful uh, lending to the petroleum industry because there's no future there. As a result, we were producing roughly 12.5 million barrels of oil a day Prior to Biden coming into office, it dropped down to 11 million uh, barrels a day. So that reduction in supply drove up the uh, price of uh, gas. And I think starting about now, we're going to be, um, instead of producing everything we need and selling the extra, we're now coming up short. We're not producing enough for ourselves, and we're going to have to buy it, That buy some. That puts us... Um, at the mercy of other countries like Saudi Arabia, who just decided they're going to cut production by another uh, million barrels a day, that'll probably lead to about 15 to 20 cents a gallon increase in gasoline prices, probably by around the 4th of July or sometime in uh, July. That hurts even more because energy you have to get uh, put gas in your car to drive to work. You have to heat your home. When it's real hot, you have to uh, cool, cool your home. You, you need energy for cooking and, and eating. Uh, so that really hits hits hard. Um, and it's something that uh, should never have been done. The U.S. was the largest producer of energy in the world. We had enough for ourselves, and we were selling it. Gasoline prices were you know two dollars and twenty five cents a gallon. That makes everything else easy. High energy prices are very difficult for everybody. Yeah, I, uh, I, I think it's just the one encroachment that hits everybody, no matter what your economic status is. And um, I mean, toilet paper can go up 5%, but when your gas goes up 50%, I don't know how we get 5% inflation. That <laughs> doesn't equate in my mind, but you're the professor. All right, one other thing. Are we in recession, going in the recession? Where are we with the, with the R word? So um, a recession is two successive quarters of declining GDP. Now, the second quarter of this year, GDP only grew by a little over 1%. So we've just entered the third quarter, June 1st, uh, June, July, and uh, let me get my January, March, 
uh, April, May, June. We're just ending the uh, second quarter. Let me start over again. I got a, got a little mixed up. So let me start over. The first quarter of this year, uh, we grew at a little over a 1% rate. The second quarter, which ends at the end of June, probably are going to grow a little less than that. And I think starting in the third quarter, uh, July, I think we're going to go into a slight recession into the third quarter and the fourth quarter. And I think early next year, we'll be able to come out of it. I don't think it'll be very severe, but I think the last half of this year, we're looking at recession. Okay, so short-term money is going to be expensive and home loans are going to be expensive, right? Correct. The uh, national um, average for mortgage rates is now approaching 7%. And a year and a half ago, I was telling my students when uh, mortgage rates were about 3%, I said, look, the Federal Reserve is going to start hiking up interest rates. I think the mortgage interest rate will, will peak out at about 7%. Um, and I'm still holding to that. What that does, it makes it very expensive for uh, people to buy houses, and that's going to clobber the housing market. Yeah. Thanks for your time, Professor. We value it greatly. Let me say to our viewers and listeners, uh, Professor Michael Bustler, you can go to muckrack, one word, dot com forward slash Michael Bustler. There's the picture of the landing page of his website. Very resourceful. Check him out there at Stockton University, Professor of Finance. Thank you, Professor. Always great to have you, friend. Thank you. Always my pleasure to be here. Thank you for listening to this week's Focus Today podcast. Remember, you can visit our website to check out all the interviews we did this week on our daily Focus Today TV show at thedove.us. And if you like this podcast, please take a moment to rate us and share it with your friends.